1: is the italian job a seat in chaos a smash and grab raid and four
0: million dollars four million dollars i think we could take that over roger go you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off good evening croaker i've got a job lined
1: up get out of here. It's it's all here. Maps, drawings, plans, everything. You've been put up to this haven't you? You've been bribed to upset my natural rhythm and ruin my health. Michael Caine does the Italian job on the outside. After minding the job from the inside, Noel Coward. Two gentlemen on the job. Does Mr. Bridget think he can take over Europe from a prison cell? Why do you see them Italian birds? Oh, they're big. I like them big. Really? <laughs> <laughs> big, big. <laughs> Also on the Italian job, Raffaulone, Tony Beckley, Maggie Bly, Rosano Brazzi. I want Charlie Croker given a good going over. Hello, Charlie. Lovely, Charlie. Nice, Charlie. Good to see you, Charlie. Um, now, what would you
0: like? (laughs) Everything.
2: Aye! Knock that bloody water cannon out! Hurry up, Dominic!
0: is a foreign job to help with this country's balance of time. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? (laughs) Nothing up my sleeve.
2: Presto! (laughs) No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat.
1: Now here's something we hope you'll really like.
2: Hey, this is Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google HandTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any of our 580-some-odd shows, visit NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. Good evening, uh, Tommy. How's it going? Good evening, Robert. (laughs) Uh, I should have said good evening. (laughs) Wait a minute. Do we do that next week? next week. That'll be next week. Okay. We're good to talk like Dracula. Blah, blah. I want to drink your blood. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway. All right. So enough of that. Uh, Halloween's next weekend. We're looking forward to that. Don't forget to wear your mask, right, Tommy? of course, people wouldn't have been Halloweening all year long, you know. So, you know, looking like bank robbers and all that other good stuff.
2: Going as a COVID patient.
0: That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fan, car guys. Hey, we got a great show for you tonight. we got some, uh, not one, but two special guests this evening. Um, And uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about uh, this event that's going to take place down in Fort Lauderdale in the next... uh, uh, week, okay. Um, some of the upcoming shows, SEMA obviously is uh, the biggie coming up. PRI is a little bit after that, but SEMA is in the first week in uh, November. And I think they're going to do the Macan, which is the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. So that's up in Chicago, and that's I think a lot of part of New York. I went to that a couple of, year, or not New York, Chicago. I went to that a couple of years ago, and that was pretty cool. Um, I truly enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, and um, you know how, you know, it's like I know a lot about cars. But I, because of my business, because of the appraisals, I have to know a lot about a lot of different cars. But these guys, I mean, they like eat, sleep, and drink one specific car. So whether it's a 69 Mach 1 or a 69 Z28 or a 69 Hurst-Oles or a 69 Pontiac GTO or Roadrunner or Charger 500, these guys, AMX, these guys know it. I mean, I was truly, truly impressed. But the, the class that impressed me the most was the what they call the Survivor class. And, uh, and I'm more a survivor kind of car guy. You know, I, I, I get the restoration thing and all that stuff. But cars that are original are, as we say, and you've heard it, it's very cliche, uh, they're original just one time. That's it. Anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and, uh, f- oh, we have our guests on the line. All right. So, well, anyway, we we're just talking about events. So I would like to introduce... To you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, car guys and car ladies, uh, the founder and CEO of the Fort Lauderdale Concourse, which is, I believe, the first year for this particular event. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Maria Genache. I think I pronounced it right, didn't I, Maria?
1: You got it. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for hanging out with us here a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit, give us a little short background on yourself so you can segue into the Fort Lauderdale Concourse coming up next Friday evening.
1: So, thank you so much, Robert, for having me. I really appreciate it. I know you have a a lot of wonderful um, enthusiasts that listen to you, and I'm honored to be on your show. Um, so, I'm the founder and CEO of the New York City Concor, as well as the Fort Lauderdale Concour. Our um, our Fort Lauderdale event is the first uh, and first Concor in Fort Lauderdale, and this is our. Um, inaugural event coming up on the 29th of October. And, um, I've been a car guy since I was a kid. My my dad and my uncle were always wrenching cars and they'd throw me in the back seat and take me for rides and end up at, at racetracks. And, you know, I just got the bug very early and, you know, just thought the vehicles were beautiful and then. You know, I'd help my dad work on them and learn about, uh, you know, the idiosyncrasies of cars and what, you know, made them run and what made them beautiful. And, you know, it's just something special when you, you know, first fall in love with a car, it kind of sticks with you. So um, I owned an advertising agency for many years, and I had automotive and motorsports as a continual thread throughout, you know, my clients or... It was my interest. I worked in Formula One and IndyCar. And I did a lot of advertising and marketing for Porsche North America and Ferrari North America. I've been around the Concorde world for a lot, a lot of years. And I just kind of felt like um, we needed to shake it up a little bit. We needed to disrupt the Concorde model and kind of make it hit. You know, it's, um, it's, there's a you know and kind of make it more more
0: um, diverse as well. Um, when, basically, go ahead. I was going to say the the rooftop concept. I remember when I heard I was a couple of years ago, and we have a mutual friend, Rick Piano, and uh, who does the cigar city concourse here in uh, in, in Oldsmar. Yeah. But I remember him talking about it, and then I remember reading about it. And I thought about it for a second. I said, what an interesting concept, really. You know, rooftop. And so tell us a little bit about the New York one, how that came about. And it is different. There's no question about that. And it's a completely new spin on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, first off, you know, there's a lot of wonderful cars out there. The collector car world is made up of, you know, more of an older white male audience and a lot of younger people aren't interested in cars. They're not getting interested because cars now are not really cars. You know, they're computers. They all look the same. So I was trying to figure out a way, how do we keep this car culture alive and get younger people to enjoy these classic cars when they don't really get the opportunity to see them that much? Now, in New York, it's very different from where you are. You guys are you know, year-round can drive your cars around. Um, it's not that way up here, and the car culture is, you know, we have one, but, you know, it's, it's, kids aren't interested, in that, and why is that? Because they don't get to see them, and, and I just figured let's make it interesting for them to come see. If you think of your typical classic Concours, a younger person going to that is not going to find it all that interesting. They're in. They, they want, you know, the experience. They want more than just looking at an old car. So, I've been going to. I love Pebble and Amelia. And what Vic does is amazing. There's nothing wrong with these shows. They attract a lot of people. But what's going to happen to these cars if the younger people don't go? I mean, they're they become worthless. You know, if there's no demand, then there's no value. Um, You can only have so many museums to put these cars in. And if people aren't interested, then they're not even going to go to the museum. So, you know, I figured, all right, what do I want to do when I go to these? I want to see something else. I want to hear live music. I want to have a really good cocktail and some good food. And, you know, I want to see fashion. I want to see art yeah you know, we do a mashup with uh, cars collector cars and collectible sneakers. The sneaker world is huge. It's a big culture, and it's a very similar collector to the car collector. and I do I started in New York where we match sneakers to the cars, and we do a display of sneakers. and everybody thought I was crazy, but when they saw it, they said, "You know what? You got something here because they're works of art." You know, I'm an avid enthusiast and appreciator of unique art and collectibles, and you know they represent innovative design and and craftsmanship. And sneakers are the same way as cars in that in that sense. And it's and it's part of you know our culture. So I I mixed them up. I brought them together. You know, in New York, it made a lot of sense, and people loved it. So I'm doing the same thing in Fort Lauderdale. We have a, a guy in the collector the collector sneaker world. His name is Matt Senna. He's, like, big in that world. For me, um, he's a celebrity in that world, you know, and who, who would have sunk it? But it's real, <laughs> you know. And, and if we could get those people to come and like our cars, we, we got something going. We, we definitely got, we're going to get the new tribe, so to speak.
0: All right, so what kind of music are you going to have for entertainment there? Since we're talking, what's we're attracting a younger crowd? and I'm assuming you're figuring Gen Xers and potentially millennials. So uh, what type of music, what type of uh, yeah. ambiance are you going to have? We've got a couple of minutes left here, so uh, share that with us.
1: We we were hoping Carmine would come and, and play, but he <laughs> he was going to be on tour.
0: <laughs> he would uh, rock the house. There's no question about that.
1: Yeah, well, we'll have to talk to him about doing New York. But but anyway, w- what we're doing, Robert, is we're we don't want to cast aside the established collector. We we want to keep them. In the fold and kind of reinvigorate their love for Concords and, and the classic car world. So our band is a funk soul um, band, the Valerie Tyson band, and they they play um, they play some some older stuff and some and some new stuff. It's all covered.
0: Okay. Um, so
1: so you'll hear Bruno Mars and Dua Lipa and and all that, but you're you're gonna hear. You know Some classic funk Soul R&B as well And then we have A DJ uh, Anna DeFerrin Which is Gilles DeFerrin's daughter Um The You know Former Formula 1 IndyCar driver uh-huh. uh, And she's Uh Been a DJ As well Um You know We'll alternate So we You know We got the best of both worlds Um and the music is a big part of it, and it's throughout the whole thing. It's a five-hour event, and it's going to be music for the full five hours. If we're on a rooftop, that's the brand. Um, you know, there's something about being up in the sky, looking out and having uh, views. You know, in, in Fort Lauderdale, it's quintessential Fort Lauderdale. The views are of the, of the ocean and the intercoastal waterway downtown Fort Lauderdale, the Las Olas Bridge, you know, and all that. You know, Billionaire Row, the, the mansions along, you know, the Venice of America. It's really a gorgeous spot. In New York City, we're downtown Manhattan, where you see every iconic building from the rooftop at Pier 17. And, you know, it's we do it in the evening. So the sunset is part of the show. And uh, it's definitely different than your classic Concord.
0: Well, that sounds spectacular. Now, if people want to find out more about it, basically, how much does it cost to get in? If people want to find out more about it, how do they go about doing that if they want to participate? The,
1: the website is uh, com. so F-T-L-C-O-N-C-O-U-R-S.com. And uh, the tickets are $150. That's, that's with an open bar and food included in that. So, it's a party. It's an evening um, party, and, uh, you know, it's basically an art gallery of cars, art, fashion, sneakers, and live music, and we've got a couple of surprises. We have an unveiling of a new Rolls Royce um, Black Badge Ghost, and our presenting sponsor is Lotus, and they're going to have uh, a display with their new... Um, Amira. so it's uh, you know there's going to be a lot of wonderful, rarely seen vehicles on the rooftop. Um, it's going to be a great time.
0: How many cars are going to be up there? So if I come up there, what? How many cars do I expect to see?
1: Thirty cars. Okay. Um, actually, there's there's now 31 because I just uh, today got a a BMW 507, which is Ooh. super rare. Yes um car uh so we have 31 cars in the concourse and then there's the Rolls and the uh there's several uh displays um of a new car, new Rolls, new Aston Martin, the Bentleys and the the Lotus uh which is, you know, really rarely seen because there's only a handful of them uh made at this point. So um and Lotus is, you know, it's a brand. We're thrilled to have them as our presenting sponsor because they're just like us. They're a little, they're different, and they're not, they're 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 unique. And you know, if you like a Lotus, you like a Lotus. You're not going for a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. If you're a Lotus person, you're a Lotus person. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, they're definitely unique. So we're honored to have them. Well, plus
0: they have a legendary racing history, racing pedigree. So you know, Lotus is very significant yeah. in the world of racing, Formula One and uh, and GT racing.
1: Yes, and you know, uh, I I had the pleasure of meeting Colin Chapman and oh. and seeing the Lotus uh, uh, factory in England, uh, which was amazing uh, opportunity in my career. Um, I I was the marketing um, agent for Nigel Mansell, So was a Clearwater guy.
0: Clearwater guy, yes, and a golfer.
1: <laughs> and a big golfer.
0: Yeah, yes. and, a, and a boat person.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes.
0: Well, Maria, we are thrilled to have had you on the show. Um, I definitely want to have you back again because you sound like an extremely interesting person, which you are, but there's more to the story because we want to talk about not only your advertising background and some of the people that you work with, with, particularly in the automotive world, but also your dad is a well-known yacht builder and designer, correct? Yes, yes. That would be
1: great. I would love to come back on. I know you've, uh, you know, I've probably... uh, went over my time spot here, but but I'm available. You let me know, and uh, happy
0: to do it. Okay, very good. Well, we look forward to seeing you next week at the event, and look forward to meeting you. And again, I want to thank you very much. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, this weekend, the Fort Lauderdale Concourse, that's on 1029. It's the next Friday evening, and uh, it sounds like a pretty exciting experience, and I look forward to it. Thank you, Maria.
1: Well,
2: thank you,
0: Robert, and I'll see you next week. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Well, that sounds like an interesting concept. I like the idea of a rooftop event, and um, when I get back, I'll tell you guys all about it. So, In the meantime, I think Tommy's going to go ahead and fire up the stereo, and I think it's time to get our special guest on for the evening. And, Tommy, you know what? Let's go. What was the second song I had on that thing? Lady? Well, whatever. We'll play that song. Let's play the first one. You're fine. We'll go ahead and get our guests on the line. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. We have a real rock and roll legend lined up for you this week. On nostalgic menu cards. Don't touch that dial. This is Rick Derringer, and you are
2: listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: Okay, we're back, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And uh, we had this element on last week for a minute or two, but we got it back tonight for the whole rest of the show. I'm delighted to welcome the show. Founding member of Vanilla Fudge and Beck Bogart and a piece. I'm delighted to welcome the show this evening. The legendary rock and roll drummer, Carmine, a piece. Carmine, how you doing?
2: That's how I'm doing,
0: dude. You're banging the skins, it sounds like.
2: I'm in my studio.
0: <laughs> well, now, you've, uh, you've become a Floridian now, huh? Yeah, yeah. In Florida, I
2: got a great house here, amazing house. Yeah? And we got, uh, I got my garage full of cars, and I got my guest house full of drums. And I got the studio... I record in. I'm I'm working on a King Cobra st- uh, song right now. Okay. My new album, and I just released uh, another album, an instrumental album. I did it here in the studio, and I, I love it. I love
0: Florida. So, well, uh, now you lived in Santa Barbara for a while, right? Or out there in uh, uh, in that? No, well,
2: no, it was actually Palm is where I lived. Oh, okay. That's where my area code came from.
0: Okay. So, what'd you think yeah, of? Uh... I since
2: 1995.
0: All right, California versus Florida. Give us your take on it.
2: Well, California used to be great.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I don't know I don't know what uh, what it was like, you know, like when I moved to California in 1975, I don't know what Florida was like. But uh I do know that California used to be great.
0: Well, I'll concur with that cuz I...
2: is is awesome now. I mean, we've been here got here right in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. And what we did was uh, every Saturday go out to a, a New York deli and have bagels and eggs and we and, and did that for eight weeks and all the restaurants were open and, and it was, you know, I mean, everybody was careful, but it was, it was great. You know, like in Connecticut, everything was locked up where we were in New York. Everything was locked up and uh, so here we are. We, we left New York when they had state of emergency with 250 cases. Oh. And we went to a house in Connecticut, which, which was up for sale, and then it sold. And we had bought this house, and we were renovating it. And uh, it, uh, we actually bought it in October of 2019. So while all this the was going on, we started renovating this in January 2020. So when we got here, it was almost done. So there was still working when we got here. And I loved it, man. I loved it. I loved the, I loved the weather. Of the sun,
0: beautiful. So, Car- Carmine, I, the la- the last question I asked you last week was how you got started um, beating on the drums, the skins, as they say in the in the biz. Yeah. And uh, you said it was your cousin that got you interested in uh, in
2: drums. Well, m- my cousin was a drummer, had a drum set.
0: Uh-huh. And, uh huh.
2: And we, you know, Italian families go over the houses for all the holidays, and I used to go to his house and. Get on the drums and play them and bang them and then go home and bang on the pots and pans. My parents would get me toy drum sets as I was a kid, and then uh, when they saw that I really enjoyed it, and kept doing it, kept doing it. They got me a, you know, for Christmas and my birthday, which is in December. They got me a real drum set at Sam Ash Music Store, the very first Sam Ash store. And we went up, we went up to the it was up to, on the top shelf fifty five bucks, a standard, a cymbal, and a bass drum, And a pedal. And that to me was like it was it was like the cream of the crop at that age. And I just started practicing, practicing, playing for the record, King Cooper, Buddy Rich records and all these jazz records and some rock records and and then I had put a band together and started playing and took lessons. Got better and better. You know, through my teens, all I did was play clubs on the weekends and made money. I made enough money to buy myself a brand new 64 Chevy Super Sport 327 when I was 17 years old.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. You're a car guy, too. So tell us about some of the cool cars you've had.
2: Well, I had that one was my first car. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: and
2: then, and then I, I, I blew the warranty on that because I put a three-quarter racing cam in it. I put a fuelie um, Heads on it. I put a 411 rear in it. I put a big Harley, a big AFB carburetor on the fuel head. And I used to race around Brooklyn. I I didn't realize I blew the warranty. It was a brand new car. So after that, I got fed up because the car was undependable. And then I bought a 67 Chevy Supersport automatic 283, two barrel. I used that until I was in Vanilla Fudge. When we made it, I traded that in and I got a, a 69 Jaguar XKE. Ooh. So I had that for a while, and then I bought from the guitar player of the Rascals, Gene. He had a 1961 Jaguar Mark Nine that looked like a big old Rolls Royce. Uh huh. So, so I bought that from him, and I had that car for 40 years. Right. Yeah. And then I trade. And then I used to go buy this. Where I bought my Jaguar, I would go buy this this dealership and in it was a red car. I didn't know what the hell it was until I saw one on the road and I ran up to the driver and, and said, what is that? He said, it's a Vitamaso Pantera. Oh. So, so I said, okay. So after I got back home, I, I went into the dealership and I talked to the guy that sold me the XKE. He was in the same dealership and he told me all about it. You know, 351 Cleveland and 325 horsepower, mid-engine, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, could we go for a test drive? So he gave me the key, and he didn't even go with me. He held my, my XKE as uh, security, but I'd bring it back, you know?
0: Uh-huh.
2: And I drove around, and I couldn't believe his car. I got like a freaking go-car, you know? Uh-huh. So freaking fast, five-speed. So I ended up buying it. Traded the XKE. When I got back in the XT, I felt like a kid in a pedal car. <laughs> you know, because it was so powerful, and the sound of the Pantera was amazing. So I bought the Pantera. I had it for 40 years, also.
0: Whoa. You
2: know, and, and, but then while I had the Pantera and the Jack, the girlfriend I had uh, had a, a Mercury Cougar. We traded that in, and I bought a 1966 Corvette in 75 convertible. Uh-huh. I paid three grand for it, you know. And so I had the Pantera, Jag, and the Corvette. And then when we split up, after a while I moved to uh, L.A., and I brought the Jag and the Pantera with me. And then when I started playing with Rod Stewart, started making some money, I bought a 1956 Austin
0: Healey 104. Oh, Nice.
2: Right? Which was really nice. Yeah. And then I bought, then I had a car kit that I put on a Volkswagen. It was called a Sterling car kit.
0: Yeah, remember those?
2: And I had a Sterling car kit, the Austin Healey, the the Jaguar, and the Pantera. And then I had a white champagne Volkswagen convertible. It was white interior, white outside, white top. It was called a champagne version. Uh-huh. It was a limited edition, so I had that for a while, and then Rod Stewart almost tried to let me. He, he tried to sell me his Lamborghini Miura.
0: Oh, you should have bought that.
2: Twenty-five grand. I know I should have because it sold for six hundred grand recently, and he wanted twenty-five grand for it. And I said, Man, "I got a Pantera. What do I need that for?" Uh-huh. So then, forty years later, I got rid of the Pantera and the Jaguar. I traded the Jaguar for a piece of real estate and I got, you know, like 30 grand for the Pantera, sold it to some kid. I paid $8,800 for the Pantera. And then I got a, uh, a Jaguar, 2001 Jaguar XKR supercharged, 450 horsepower Jaguar, and that was cool. And then I got the bug to get something else. And then I got a 2013 Maserati GT, which I have now. huh. And I wanted to keep the Jaguar, and I couldn't decide know where to put it. I only had a three-car garage, and when you live in, you know, in uh, Connecticut, you don't want to leave a nice car outside in the snow, you know. Uh huh. So, so I I sold it to a friend of mine, and he also bought the Jaguar from me. You know uh-huh. by trading me a piece of property, so I was in business with him with real estate, and then I got the XK, I got the Maserati, and then we moved to Florida. And My wife traded her, she had a 19, 1995 Porsche Carrera 911.
0: Uh huh,
2: so she traded, she bought, sold that, and bought a, a, a brand new Z last year. So she had the Z that was gray, we had the sort of grayish Maserati and a white SUV but that's a brand new. And then I got the bug to buy something else. I just got a F type Jaguar twenty eighteen. Four cylinder supercharger. And I tell you that thing is fast as hell. You know? And I used to work on the cars too. Like I put a water pump in the Pantera and some other odds and that the Pantera. Me and my buddy put all the cams and all the work on the 64. Chevy. I really really love cars. And now the latest thing I found out was the Pantera was sold to Beverly Hills uh, a, a place in Beverly Hills that sells cars and it was bought by an English guy who brought it over to England and he stripped it down. He's redoing the whole Pantera uh, he's got a Ferrari paint job on it, putting in a bigger 600-horsepower engine. We did the whole interior, but kept the dashboard because I signed the dashboard.
0: Oh, okay.
2: by the paperwork that it was mine, so he got a hold of me because recently I just did an interview with the Pantera Club magazine, Pantera International Club magazine. And through that, he, he found me and told me that he bought my Pantera, and he sent me pictures of it being renovated. And he's going to put it in car shows all through Europe. So he said, you mind if I call it the Carmine of Peace Pantera? I said, no, that's fine. But she he said, what's in the car shows? I want to have your name attached to it because you had it for 40 years. And you can tell me who rode in that car. So I told him who rode in that car. You know, Jeff Beck, Rod Stewart. Ozzy Osborne, Prince, and many others.
0: <laughs> oh wow!
2: So I'm gonna write that out on a piece of stationery. He's gonna, he's gonna, you know, put make it like uh, in plastic. And when he when he has the car on a car show, he's gonna have my pictures. He's gonna have a copy of my uh, autobiography, which has pictures and stories about the car in the, in the book. And he's gonna enter the contest. With, with, with it as a Carmine
0: Peace Pantera. What color was that car originally, your Pantera? It, red, it
2: was, it
0: was red. red. Okay.
2: And now it's going to be Ferrari
0: red. Okay.
2: It's going to be
0: gorgeous when it's done. Well, let me ask that's you... That's
2: my car story.
0: That's your car story. That's excellent, because that fits right in with you know, nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about... Uh, Um, music a little bit And, and, and back in the day when you were with Vanilla Fudge which was your real first big band I guess and so what was it like for you guys starting out? Did you have to like you hear the stories about how uh, you know you you you, ha- you 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 cut a couple record labels, and then you had to get them to the disc jockeys and try to get airplay to get some notoriety. Did you have to go through any of that stuff, or was yours your your situation well, different?
2: We did, we did. It was interesting because we cut a demo to keep it hanging on in a one take mono.
0: Uh huh.
2: And and then we played it on FM radio was just starting out. They used to do like contests like. Here's a new song by a new group, Vanell Fudge. And they put it up against, like, the Beatles and the Stones. And, you, and the audience votes, and we kept winning. All right? So, yeah. so Atlantic Records heard that, and they they signed us on the strength of that song. You know? And then we, we cut the album, which was basically our stage show. And so they released to Keep It Hanging On. And uh, it, it didn't go very good. And it went number 70 on the charts. And we started doing gigs and playing around town and playing around Newport, Rhode Island, East Coast. And we started building a following. And then, you know, we got some airplay on the West Coast. so We went to the West Coast. We played with the Mamas and the Papas. And, you know, they brewed us off the stage at first. And, you know, and then... You know, we said, hey, we flew 3,000 miles to do the show. We're going to do it whether you like it or not. (laughs) We ended up up winning them over. And then we played in L.A. And then, you know, we did the album. And the, the single came out in July. The album came out at the end of August. And the album went from 200 to number 33 on the charts. And we were, like, blown away. And then it ended up going up as high as number four on the charts and we were up there with like the Stones and the Beatles and everybody else and we were blown away and we were the first band to ever get into the top 10 with an album without having a smash single right and then uh, a year later Atlantic re released the single again where we we already had two other albums out so the first album was kind of moving down the charts the second album was somewhere on the charts the third album somewhere in the charts but then when we released to keep hanging on again it went up this time to number four and it brought all the albums back up on the charts again so that's how it happened it was like really crazy but Hot. we we made a big mistake uh, releasing the second album was a concept album it wasn't music it was a concept it was a bad idea i'm an and a Shadow Morning, our producer, it was their idea. We didn't know any better. If I would have known that, what I know now, I would have told them
0: forget about that, you know. How did, Where did the name Vanilla Fudge originate? You know, a lot of bands, they start out with a name, and then the producers and the record guys and the managers say, you know, we need to change well, yeah, the name. Your
2: record, record company changed our name. We used to be called the Pigeons.
0: The Pigeons? It's
2: like our name, Pigeons. Yeah. And, one time we did an album uh, uh, gig with the birds, the seeds, and the pigeons. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like you know, bird seeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was before Maurice, but what it was called the Village Theater. But so we were looking for a name. So this this girl we knew that was a fan came up and said, you know, you guys are like white soul vanilla fudge. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. So we liked that, and we gave it to Atlantic.
0: They liked it, and that was it. So then, uh, how how did your relationship with uh, Jeff Beck and uh, Tim Bogart? Because Bogart wasn't he with the Birds for a while?
2: No, Tim was in the Fudge.
0: Oh, he was in the Fudge. That's right. Yeah, he was with you guys. Okay, he was in the
2: Fudge, and and, and uh, we did a Coke commercial with Vanilla Fudge. And our, our guitar player got sick. Uh huh. He couldn't. Uh, he couldn't make it. So um, Jeff Beckbrook was just coming out, and we had the same attorney. Jeff was in New York, and uh, Jeff, Jeff was uh, you know called by our attorney. C.C. would do the co-commercial with us. We needed a guitarist.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So he came in. He wasn't big yet. So he came in, and he played on, on the track with us. And me and Tim went, wow, this is great. You know, what an amazing guitarist he was. And and a keyboard player too. So so from that I planted seed in my head, and then Jeff got his first album out as well. And and in 1969, Blind Faith came out, and West Bruce and Lang and super groups were happening. So you know we, we got word in 1969 from John Bonham of Led Zeppelin that Jeff Beck wanted wanted to play with me and Tim. So we. You know, we we actually broke up Vanilla Fudge to play with Jeff, and Rod Stewart was going to be the singer, but he wasn't big yet either,
0: you know? Yeah, these so, are the Small Faces or the Faces or something?
2: No, no, he was in the Jeff Beck
0: Group. Oh, he was in the Jeff Beck Group. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you
2: know, he was the singer in the Jeff Beck Group, and they was just coming out. Okay. They've only been out for a year. So then the, the Jeff Beck Group was, was breaking up, Anyway, well, I didn't want to work with Jeff for whatever reason. But we were going to continue to work with Jeff to get another singer, but then when Jeff, you know, Jeff is really into cars, building oh yes, and hot rods and all that, you know. So that's why we got along really good. As Tim, me, Tim, and him were into cars, and Tim was into motorcycles,
0: uh-huh.
2: you know. So Jeff got in the car wreck and couldn't do anything for not 18 months. So we said, Oh, no, we're not going to wait around 18 months for this. So we put Cactus together with Jim McCarty from the Detroit Wheels and Amboy Dukes singer Rusty Day. Uh-huh. It was kind of a super group. So we did Cactus, and then finally it was that in 1970. And in 72, we got another call from Jeff Beck wanting us to play with him. So that's how we hooked up with him again, joined in the Jeff Beck group just to do him a favor, so we were doing Jeff Beck Group gigs, and then and other dates we were doing with Cactus gigs at the same time. So we were doing really well, you know, because we were drawing you know, five, six thousand people with Cactus, and Jeff Beck's group was doing the same thing. Second time we played with Jeff in '72, we went into Jeff Beck Group featuring Jeff, Tim, and me. And then after that, we went in the studio, and then '83 we came out with ben Kobe and album.
0: Well, I think I mentioned to you last week. I'm going to see if I can find it here real quick from my friend. But he actually has saw Beck Bogart in a piece at the Curtis Hicks, and I think it was 1974. So he actually still has the tickets. I thought that was cool, yeah. That was
2: 73. 73,
0: right, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, uh, you know, and the album did great. And then we were with him all through that summer. And, and we started doing a new album in in the, in the fall. Right after we did our uh, we did a European tour, uh, and then uh, you know it, it didn't go great because you know we we went to England to do it and Jeff didn't like the way it was coming out and, this and that and we, we said all right let's try it again so we tried it again you know uh, in London this time instead of in the country and that didn't work out either and then we went played our last gig in 1974 at the London Rainbow. And we recorded it live, and we had seven new songs and three old songs. And now we just mixed that, and I think that's coming out next year.
0: Okay, I saw on YouTube there uh, Rick Derringer played with you guys once or twice.
2: As uh, with me and Tim, yeah, yeah, we did an album called Derringer Poker in the piece in the early two thousand. Uh huh. That was fun. I heard Rick. I heard Rick said
0: right. He was on our show a couple of years ago, or last year, a couple of years ago, yeah, whenever it was. But he's, he, he's, yeah,
2: he's a good, he's a good guy. And uh, and then you know, we did that show, and then uh, my brother played with Rick, and I knew Rick yeah, for years. He did a lot of gigs with Cactus and uh, Johnny Winter when Rick played with him. And uh, Rick wanted to produce BBA's second album, uh, but it never never came to fruition.
0: You know. So now, are you um, the, the new the new guy that you're with and and uh... Um. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the story on him now? He's uh, he's from the Miami area, right? And he's of Cuban background, and is a jazz musician.
2: No, not jazz. He's just a, a, an all around musician. Okay. And uh, and he was he was actually discovered to me by Tom Dowd, a great producer, who uh, lives in Miami. Uh huh. You know, but Tom's daughter called me when Tom passed away and said, "Look, there's this kid that." that um, plays with, you know, was going to play with my father and work with my father, uh, but you know my father passed away, so he just called me and asked if he, if they knew how to get a hold of me, he wanted to ask me if I wanted to play on some stuff he was doing. So I had just moved to Florida, set up my studio, and I, you know, I knew how to work it somewhat, but I wasn't really as good as I am now with it, you know, getting the drum sounds and everything. So, so when they asked me if I maybe want to work with this guy, I said, have him call me. So he called me and he told me the stuff he's done. He's also been in a, a movie on Netflix called Echoes of the Canyon mm-hmm. that he played alongside Eric Clapton and a few other people like that, you know, and he's in the in the movie and the movie was number one on Netflix for a long time. So he, he got some exposure with that. So I saw that and I said, all right, well, let's try it. So I sent him I sent him uh, a song that I wrote, an instrumental song I wrote on my iPad. And I said, you do your thing to it. Send it back to me and I'll put drums on and see how it goes. And he did that. And it came up with this song called Try It. Thunder, sorry, Thunder. And it was great. So I said, let me send you something else. I sent him something else. And he did a great job with that. And he sent me something. And I played on that. And then I sent him a, a drum track back. And I said... Uh, I added this as a part two of the song, which was called um, Little Havana, you know, and then we ended up calling the part two Big Havana. All I sent was a drum track and he put the guitar to it and it was great. I said, well, you know, I got some other drum tracks. You want to try one? So I sent him one. It was great. So I said, this kid is really talented because he plays bass, guitar and keyboard. So it's just me and him did the whole thing. You know, we engineered it. The only thing we didn't do was mix it.
0: Are you guys going to be doing any dates anytime soon together?
2: Yeah, I think so. He he lives, he's got family in Miami. So when he comes here in December, I'm going to see if we can get like a promotional gig together at the Funky Biscuit, you know?
0: Okay. Well, I just wanted to let you know that we had uh, Maria Genache on earlier. She's the uh, founder and CEO of the Fort Lauderdale Concourse, which is taking place next week. And she knows that you're coming, knew that you were coming on the show this evening. So she says, well, extend an invitation to Carmine a piece that we would love to have him perform for us at one of our events, our rooftop events. And they do the one in in, uh, Fort Lauderdale, and they also do one in New York. So I just thought I'd... uh, Throw that out there for well, you. Give
2: them give him my number, and let's let's do it. But next week I'm actually in New York. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I I go there on Sunday and Monday we rehearse with Vanilla Fudge, and Tuesday we leave to go to Washington D.C. and Wednesday we play in Washington D.C. and then we go to Pennsylvania and back to Long Island and upstate New York and Philadelphia. So we do a five uh, five shows in one week.
0: Wow. Cleopatra Records is that? uh, Are you connected to that, or or, because they they put out your new album now? What's it called? Rocket in the Sun? Is that what it is? Or or Energy Overload? That's the album.
2: It's called Energy Overload.
0: Okay, and Rocket to the Sun was one of the songs on there because I was listening to that earlier. Yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, well, they they've been around in January thirty years, and I know the the owner Uh that long. You know when he started selling stuff out of his garage. Oh boy! So I've done a, a bunch of st- work with him. You know, he he started out really doing tribute albums. You know, tri- tribute to Alice Cooper, tribute to Queen, tribute to this, tribute to that, and then he got a really good following, and he sold a lot of records doing that. So, you know, when I was recording with Fernando, I said, you know, we got eighteen songs recorded. I'm going to call my buddy Cleopatra and see if they'll put a deal together so we can release it, you know, and, and release it by, by, you know, putting 12, 12 18 songs on it that we picked and, and getting a video budget and all that stuff and, and doing this properly. So, and I said, yeah, let's do it. So I called him and we got the deal <laughs> and Know and we just picked the 12 songs. We got six more songs in the cans for the next album already. Wow! So, so once we do six more, I think we'll, what we're gonna do is, is do six more songs when this album has run its course, then we'll put the other one out and then maybe we'll tour after that. Okay, or at least some key kids, New York, LA, Florida, Miami, here. Yeah, you know, I'm everybody
0: knows me down here. Well, Carmine, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you for hanging out with us. We really, truly enjoyed it. It was a treat. And we'd love to have you back on again sometime. Are you willing to come back and hang out with us and tell us some Let's more stories? Do
2: Let's do it, man.
0: All right, sounds good. I want to thank my very special guest this evening, Carmine Apice, Uh just legendary drummer with Cactus, Vanilla Fudge, and uh, Beck Bogart, and Apice. Uh, Carmine, take care. All the best luck to you, and uh, we look forward to your future albums and your tours. Thank you. Okay, man. Cheers, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. You know, it is Rocktober. We are going to be rocking through this month with some more rock and roll legends. Don't forget, every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. right here on Tantalk Radio Network. Tell your friends. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Find out all there is to know about us. And, uh, hey, want to see some of the car shows next weekend? Fort Lauderdale Concourse. Looking forward to that. SEMA's coming up. Car shows everywhere. Um, The Tampa Cigar City Concourse. Yeah, with a good friend, Vic Piano. Um, Just some pretty cool stuff going on. Moultrie, Georgia. Daytona is coming up. Just lots of stuff. Anyway, hey, I want all you guys to stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. I found
2: an island in your arms. Country in your eyes.